0: begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried on the third day he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
1: Welcome to Easter at the Well. And as followers of Jesus, while we celebrate resurrection every day, we we try and celebrate it every week at the well, Easter is a special occasion for us to remember that Jesus defeat death proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And Easter is a special occasion for the church to the worldwide body of Christ to to come together to say, Jesus is alive. And as I've mentioned already tonight, although we're not meeting under the same roof, we still gather together under one name. That video that you just saw was a reading of the Nicene Creed. It was a creed that was put together in the year 325 and then later amended in the year 381. And it's basically a statement of belief. It's, it's the essentials of what we believe because in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, we have charity. But in all things, it's Jesus Christ. Now, if you're familiar with that statement, you might have noticed that it says we believe in one Christian and apostolic church. And the original word there is Catholic. But sometimes that word can get confused with the Roman Catholic Church. But Catholic, small c, essentially means the universal church, the worldwide body of Christ. And it's a statement of belief saying that Jesus, God's own son, is alive. He has risen from the dead. He's defeated death. He's conquered it. He's overcome it. He is risen. But in order to understand the full impact of Jesus, we also need to understand God. I was asked recently, and I thought I would start here tonight with our message. the the question was dropped in our our bucket at the well at church and it simply said, why would God do this to his son? And I thought it was such a profound question because it's one that so many people wrestle with. How, How could God do this? Why would God do this to his own son? So I felt like this is where we needed to start tonight, that we had to answer that question because we need to understand God so that we can better understand Jesus, God's son in order to see how the two work together. So you see, God doesn't just forgive. God is forgiving. One of the most quoted passages in the Bible, by the Bible, comes from Exodus 34. And we're gonna be looking at Exodus 34, starting in verse six. And it's when God meets with Moses on Mount Sinai, and as he passes in front of Moses, this is actually how he describes himself. So Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Do you see that word again, forgiving? It's who he is. It's part of him. It's part of his DNA, his character. It's not a one-time thing, but it's this ongoing, continual act. He's forgiving. He does so eagerly. It's like he wakes up in the morning and he's like, who can I forgive today? And I start here because sometimes the God of the Old Testament is characterized as this mean, grumpy, angry God who's just out to get people and to get blood. But in fact, he's always been a loving, forgiving, and merciful God who extends grace upon grace and extends mercy. But he's also a God of justice. And this is where the the cross comes into play. Because you see, the cross upon which Jesus died is an expression of God's mercy and his justice coming together. Because God is just, but he's also the justifier. It's a reconciliation of God's mercy and justice in the death of Jesus as the ultimate expression of God's character. It's saying this is what God's like. Not only is it in his nature to show mercy and to forgive, but it's also in his nature to deal with sin. So I just want to say as a quick caution that we should never accuse God of being mean because while, yes, he does get angry, he takes that anger upon himself. He he doesn't make you or me pay for our sin. He pays for it. In other words, we sin, Jesus dies, Jesus dies, and we live on in relationship with the Father. This is the kingdom of God. It's this upside down, right side up kingdom kingdom that we're invited into. And and at the time, this might not seem that revolutionary to us, but at the time, how, how the world kind of understood things is that there were all these other gods, small g, and and they would take out their anger on humanity and on people and, ma- and make people sacrifice their sons and daughters. But this God, the one true creator God, he doesn't take it out on us, instead, he takes it upon himself. And here's the part that I love, is that Jesus isn't acting on his own when he goes to the cross, nor is God. You see, it's the Father and the Son working together. So you've probably heard this statement said, and I'm probably guilty of even saying it in the past. The Father poured out his wrath on the Son. That's kind of that whole sentiment behind, why would God do that to his son? The father poured out his wrath on the son. But the more that I've sat with this and studied it, I don't believe this to be true. I believe that that view, it's a slight nuance, but it slips us back into this old, uncreative characterization of the father being this mean, grumpy, out for blood God, while Jesus is this mellow pacifist who ends up dying as a a victim of God's anger issues. You see, the New Testament writers never say that the father poured out his wrath on the son. You see, the wrath of God, it it was satisfied, it was fulfilled, but it wasn't poured out on Jesus. You see, the father wasn't angry with Jesus. Jesus was and is his son whom he's well pleased. So this brings us back to the question, why would God do this to his son? So here it goes. The father was angry with evil, but so was Jesus. Both are agonizing over the ripple effect of sin in the world, of evil in the world. They're both angry with evil. So the cross was the Father and the Son working together in tandem to bring mercy and justice together to absorb all of the world's sin and the evil it creates in Jesus' death. But what's more is that then in the power of the resurrection, it also releases all of God's life. And that's what we're invited into, this new life. So just as Jesus' death absorbed all of the evil and and the evil it creates, that of sin creates in the world, his resurrection unleashes life into the world this is the power of easter this is the power of the resurrection in matthew chapter 28 starting in verse 1 it says early on sunday morning as the new day was dawning mary magdalene and the other mary went out to visit the tomb At this point, Jesus had been killed, he had been buried, and they were going to the tomb on the third day. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. The angel spoke to the women, "'Don't be afraid,' he said. "'I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified.' He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was laying. Jesus is alive. Did you do you notice the, the play on tenses there? You have the past tense and the present tense where, where it says like you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Come see where he was laying. But he's not here, he is risen. Jesus is alive, and through his death, we've been made right. And through his life, we are given life. But you see, the resurrection is not simply an affirmation of this past uh, this past declaration or this past experience. The resurrection is also to be experienced now, today, to experience his life and his presence with us today. It's not simply about past affirmations. It's not simply about future hopes. While, while it's both of those things, it's also about experiencing Jesus' present risenness. His, his presence with us here and now, today. Because you see, if we limit the resurrection to the past or to the future, it makes the present risenness of Jesus Largely irrelevant. As one theologian said, people do well to be skeptical of beliefs not anchored in present experience. But you see, if we take seriously the risen Jesus, we should expect that he will be actively present in our lives. He promises that. He promises to give us his spirit too, to continue to, to guide us and empower us into this new life. We, we die our old life with, with him and his death, but we are raised to new life in him and his life. You see, there should be this point of intersection between our lives and our lived experiences and the, the life of Jesus. And it's not just coincidences happening in our, in our life. It, it's Jesus working in our lives to, to renew and restore and to transform and redeem all things. You see, our... <laughs> Our lives and our testimonies about Jesus, they shouldn't be about what God did for us 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Or What's God d- doing today? Where is he present in your life today? And as we've been seeing throughout Acts, and we'll continue to see in Acts, in chapter 9, Paul's faith in the resurrection wasn't simply based on, on the, the witnesses of the apostles. It was also based on his own experience of the present risenness of Jesus when he encounters Jesus for himself. As the author Brennan Manning writes, Christianity is not simply a message, but an experience of faith that becomes a message, explicitly offering hope, freedom from bondage, and a new realm of possibility. You see, resurrection power enables us to confront our, our emotions, to accept the pain of this not yet fully restored world, to, to embrace it and in the process discover that we are not alone. See, pessimism and defeatism, they're, they're not fruits of the spirit. Rather, I believe they reveal our unawareness of Jesus' presence in our lives. See, the miracle of the gospel is Jesus, risen and glorified, who at this very moment tracks us, pursues us, abides in us, and offers himself to us as a companion for the journey. So even though we're physically distant from each other, Christ is with us. We're gathered under one name. We're in his presence together but it requires us to seek him to, and, and we do that in prayer. We, we do that in, in reading his word. We, we seek his face, but more importantly, it requires us to pay attention. And in the midst of this pandemic and this working from home and suddenly uh, quarantined and we're just, uh, we're uh, these little islands all, all over our community, I've been overwhelmed. By, almost, by this one verse that it, it, it's almost haunting me. And, and it, it's the verse, Psalm 46 verse 10 that says, be still and know that I am God. And the reason that I say it's almost been haunting me is because it's just been chasing me down and reminding me that there's so much happening beyond my control and some of it perhaps within my control, and I'm trying to 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 be all things to all people. and I'm trying to to d- do more to be able to to get ahead of of the rapid changes. But God's been pursuing me and saying, be still and know that I am God. And as I was preparing for tonight's message, I thought, I need to study this verse and and see what God's trying to say to me in it. Because most people know this verse. Be still and know that I am God. But I don't think many people are aware of the context in which it's written. So the first couple verses of Psalm 46 say this. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge, you see the context that is written in is a time of trouble, a time of chaos, where it's natural to fear, to feel lots of fear. But rather than making a decision in the midst of fear, the psalmist decides he's going to do the opposite of his natural instinct, the natural reaction. He slows everything down. He gets still. He pauses with the knowledge that God is still on his throne. And as a pastor and author, Rob Reamer likes to say, Jesus isn't nervous. And I love that because if Jesus isn't nervous, if God's still on his throne, why should we be? See, by by quieting ourselves, by being still, it it strengthens our inner being. And I believe that we need to cultivate this, this inner stillness so that we can have a calm outer presence in the midst of trouble. While everyone else is rushing around and hoarding and, and operating out of fear, we, we need to be still and ground ourselves, center ourselves on the person of Jesus. Recognize that he's with us. When you've done everything you can do, when, when you've said everything you can say, when you've prayed everything you can pray, the only thing left to do is wait upon the Lord in calmness and it's not a passivity of faith it it's a deep trustful dependence the storm may be raging earthquakes may be going on a COVID 19 pandemic may be surrounding us but we can be still and know that he is god because the the deep trustful dependence you see oftentimes when we pray we're let's be honest we're trying to control outcomes And when we do that we're praying out of a place of fear and when we do that praying out of a place of fear only makes us focus more on the fear and on the pain and in fact there's actually been a huge spike in prayer and searches for prayer on google and while this is great that people are searching for god and it often does come at a time of crisis, it's still coming from a place of fear. But when we recognize God for who he is, there's no reason to fear. As we wait upon the Lord in silence, we're reminding ourselves, we're setting ourselves, grounding ourselves on the fact that God is still good, that he can still deliver, and that God can still be trusted. So take time to be still and to be silent in this season. Let your hearts come under the rest of God. Become aware of his present risenness, his his presence in your life here and now. So earlier this week, I sent out an email asking um, just for some of you to, to respond with a quick five to 10 second video of filling in the blank to this statement. God gives me blank. And here's what many of you had to say. Happy Easter, the Well family. We're the Boyer family, and we're here to tell you what God brings to our lives.
0: Love. <laughs>
1: Hope. Friendship. Peace. And God brings purpose to my life. Happy Easter, everybody. God gives us laughter. <laughs> God gives uh, Hazel says God gives friends, and God also gives us love,
0: and God gives peace. Eleanor, what does God give you? Love, He gives fun, He a hug. He gives you a hug?
1: What about you, Bradley? God gives us friendship and love. Yeah. God gives hugs and kisses. God gives me love and heartness.
0: God gives me hope. God gives me the strength to face every day. God gives me a purpose.
1: God gives me strength to keep pushing through because there's better days ahead. God gives me patience and opportunity. Happy Easter.
0: God gives me hope. God gives us contentment. And he gives us satisfaction. It gives us freedom from fear. And opportunities to talk to him about what concerns us. Hope everyone is well. Goodbye. God gives me
1: love. God gives me strength. God gives me a loving family and peace, knowing that he's in control during these crazy times. God gives me butterflies. God
0: gives me grace.
1: God gives me hope. And God gives me peace.
0: God gives me peace.
1: God gives me joy and resilience. Happy Easter. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I loved it. I loved seeing the responses. I loved hearing what you had to say. And I had a couple of reasons for this. One was that. I just wanted us to see one another again. I wanted us to connect and encourage one another and to be reminded of what God's giving us. Because while I may be focusing on one thing, you guys are focusing on all these other aspects of God's goodness, which is phenomenal. But I also wanted to do this video montage as a way to help refocus you on the goodness of God. Because just as I was being challenged to be still and know that he is God, I wanted to help you take a moment to just five to 10 seconds to think, where is God at in my life? What are these gifts that he, he hasn't just given me, but he's continuing to give me? So my prayer is that we will continue to experience all of these good gifts that God gives. You see, I believe that it's in these little experiences and reminders of God's goodness and him winning the battle that just grounds us for believing that he'll ultimately do so in the end as well. See, ultimately, it comes down to trusting Jesus and that he is who he says he is. Sin at its root is simply just not trusting God. And that's why Jesus continually asks, do you believe this? He asked it back then to Mary and Martha in John chapter 11, and he still asks this question today. Do you believe? Scripture only gives us two options. Either you believe in the resurrection and, and the person of Jesus of Nazareth, or you don't believe in the re- resurrection and the person of Jesus of Nazareth. But another way of putting this is, does death have the last word? Does everything we do or see that is good, meaningless? If so, despair is the only response. If Jesus didn't rise, we can safely say that his Sermon on the Mount was magnificent ethics, but for what? But as followers of Jesus, we know that death doesn't have the last word. Jesus says, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. Jesus is saying that something new is happening, that he is at work building something new. Resurrection announces that God has not given up on this world because this world matters. He's at work redeeming, renewing, restoring all things, all things, earth, life marriages family heart souls he's at work transforming us from the inside out that's what we're celebrating at easter resurrection says that our lives and what we do with our lives matters every act of compassion every kind word nothing will be wasted the dynamic power of the gospel and the hope that we have flows out of the resurrection Jesus simply asks us to believe in him, to trust the resurrection. And he reaffirms that this life and the next is a seamless reality. That we're embraced, we're graced, and we're saved by God. Now and forevermore. So do you believe this? And if you're listening tonight or watching, and you might be in a place of despair. You're in a place where you've just lost hope hope you can't make sense of which way's up and down my encouragement to you is hold on this is just the beginning for new life to grow death has to happen but the best part of it all is that through jesus through his death and then through his life anyone at any moment can start a new future anyone at any moment can start a new future will your new future start today jesus is alive jesus is risen and he's inviting you to trust him to put your hand in his to to walk with him he wants a relationship with you he wants to be with you and transform you from the inside out he wants to give you a hope and a purpose he wants to give you life and life to the full but will you trust him Will you commit your life to him? Choose to make him number one, the true king of the world, the conqueror of death. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? So will you step into this new life that God offers us through the resurrection of Jesus? Let today mark life. That's what we're celebrating. But not only are we celebrating the life of Jesus, we're celebrating this new life that we've all been invited into. Mark today as a day of life when you commit or recommit yourself to following the person of Jesus, following his way of life. And may today be a day that we don't just celebrate, that, but that we're encouraged to go out and to share the message of life that we've been given to those who are desperately searching, who, those who are, who are Googling, who are asking questions, or maybe even to those who are just so crippled by fear right now, they don't even know what to say. I pray that you have the opportunity to share the message of life that you've been given. Our impulse to tell our salvation story will come from listening to the heartbeat of the risen Jesus who is with us. And telling your story doesn't mean you have to become a pastor or a street preacher or beat someone over the head with your Bible. It simply means this. Share with others what your life used to be like, what happened when you met Jesus, and what your life is like now. This is the message of Easter. This is the hope of resurrection. This is the good news of Jesus. Today, today will you accept life? Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you now seeking your face, quieting our hearts and our minds to become aware and to pay attention to your present risenness where are you at work in our lives where are you meeting with us where are you intersecting our lives with your resurrection power god i pray for for those who are crippled by fear, who are in a place of despair or hopelessness. I pray that you meet them and you, you show them the hope that is found in you. And that if you can overcome death, the life that you're offering us is so much better than anything we can even imagine or comprehend. God, for those who are searching and longing to be with you, I invite them now to just take a minute to just put into their own words that they want to make you number one in their life, that they want to follow you as the true king of this world. God, we simply admit that you are who you say you are. You are the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And your son, Jesus, has shown us the way to make things right with you. And it's a free gift that we simply have to reach out and accept, and God, we've tried to do it on our own. We've tried to go our own way, but that just hasn't been working. We confess that we've made mistakes, we've messed up, but God, We believe in your forgiveness, your grace, and your justice and mercy that was shown on the cross in this act against evil. God, thank you for loving us, for making a path for us to be restored to you, and for being with us in the midst of this pandemic and whatever it is we're facing. And God for those of us who have been followers of you for many years I pray that today still marks a day of life that we recommit ourselves to you that we are encouraged and spurred on to say yes we we are making Jesus first priority so God continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit to transform our lives with resurrection power. And I pray that today onward, our life will be remarkably different. That we will be filled with hope, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, gentleness. That we will be filled with you. God, continue to use us and allow us to participate in renewing, restoring and redeeming all things. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And guys, as we wrap up here tonight, I just wanna remind you, uh, go to the Zoom link in the description or on our website. Uh, We're having an after party live. We can chat with one another. Chris is gonna lead us in a couple songs, get some juice, wine, bread or crackers ready for some at-home communion. And I'm excited to uh, just get a chance to connect uh, with you, hear from you, and um, touch base this way. But may the hope peace and grace of Jesus be a living reality and presence in your life now and forevermore. Amen.